welcome everybody for another episode of A Cork in the Road, live with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. And today I'm super pumped. I have one of the coolest people I've met in North Georgia. His name is Tyler Barnes. He's the co-founder, co-owner, tasting room manager of Accent Cellars. It's a farm winery up in Dahlonega, Georgia, and they are sourcing some grapes from California, Georgia, Texas, and they're really crafting some super special wines for the Southeast market. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you for having me. So have you always been working in wine? How did you find this career path in North Georgia? <laughs> well, sort of, uh, dare I say, serendipitous in certain regards. Um, my brother-in-law, uh, he has a formal education in winemaking. He's been a uh, he got his degree, I think he graduated in 2009 from North Melbourne University in uh, Australia, which is uh, where he's originally from. And while he was in school, he met my sister. And uh, we were, both of us are uh, born and raised in Lawrenceville, Georgia. He had he actually, whenever, whenever he graduated, he had a job offer in Niagara, but uh, up in Canada. But my sister's like, I'm not moving to Canada. <laughs> so so uh, he was uh, decided to like try to make it work in North Georgia then. And uh, he got got a job up here uh, as a tasting room manager, and then he ended up becoming the head winemaker at Montaluce, which is uh, about 15 minutes up the road from me, also here in uh, Lumpkin County. Basically, I had uh, I'd graduated college, you know, seven, eight months before that, and um, I was working a few food service jobs that I didn't particularly care for as I was trying to work out my next move. And um, he ended up offering me a job to basically come on as his assistant winemaker. And for some earthly reason, I took it (laughs) having never bought a bottle of wine in my life. uh, I was really into craft beer. So, I mean, I definitely appreciated nuance of flavor. So really it was not even a hop and a skip to really uh, kind of jumping into appreciating the nuance of wine as well. But uh, yeah, it's just sort of fell into it. I, I definitely didn't plan on it. He he's he's a bit of a different story. Yeah, he's he's a romantic. He fell in love with wine quite a while ago. But you jumped on at the right time. It sounds like, which is perfect. What better yeah. late than never? Yeah, well, and especially at this time in Dahlonega, it's it's the, the market is really getting close to kind of a critical mass point. I mean, there there's eight point eight million people in the Metro Atlanta area, which is where the vast majority of our customer base comes from. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to that point where a lot of people are not only aware of North Georgia wines existing and, and just being a fun day trip, but, uh, there's also some very respectable wine being produced up here. And, uh, you know, they're starting to spread the word and it starts building on itself. I mean, really through, through no real fault of anyone, uh, everyone's been seeing increases in revenue year on end for, solidly the last five or six years in particular. So uh, I definitely happened to fall into this industry at just the right moment. So what makes North Georgia so good for grapes? I mean, I've seen the growth here as someone who lives in Atlanta and going up the past couple of years Mm -hmm. to North Georgia, the growth is just exponential. But what makes North Georgia around Dahlonega so good for growing grapes? Well, I mean, honestly, a big part of why Dahlonega does have a lot to do simply with its proximity to Atlanta. I mean, uh, whenever you're talking about having economic opportunity for a particular business venture, you know, you need customers that, that, that can make it up in regular numbers and, and relatively easily. You know, you don't want it to be too close to the city because people still need to feel like they're getting out. But uh, you don't want to be too far away that they necessarily have to stay somewhere overnight in the area to come see you, which some of the places further north in Georgia are certainly like that. But Dahlonega is definitely the kind of the 
tip of the spear as far as day trips. It, it certain certainly uh, soil, and you know, we just got that ADA designation for the Dwanaga Plateau. That doesn't really directly influence my business since we don't we don't have a vineyard where we focus on growing our own fruit. Uh, within said plateau, uh, this is certainly a big deal for a lot of the other vineyards in the area. I mean, the, the, the TTB, the Tax and Trade Bureau, the federal organization that, that, uh, basically analyzes applications and then hands down AVA designations, uh, they, they certainly, they, they, they concur that there is some sort of, uh, unique characteristic to the, the, the terroir. The, you know, be it the soil, the, the, the climate, the vineyard practices and things, uh, of the Dahlonega area. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's a number of factors and Delonic has already been a tourism town for a while. I mean, part of it would be a good question for the owners of Three Sisters because um, they, they're the one of the oldest wineries in North Georgia. They, they were one of the first farm wineries when they created the, uh, the, the license back in the early 90s. They picked Delonic. I, I believe it's because the, the Pauls were from the area. But uh, then, then you have uh, the Kreitzers over at Frogtown, and then uh, the Bogners not long after them. And then uh, you know Cavender Creek, uh, Blackstock, which is now Kaya. I mean, a lot, a lot of these places they just started popping up in really close proximity. And before you know it, you had, had this destination where people could come up and not go to just one winery, but they could go to multiple. It could, it could truly be a, a multi-day thing, or, or you know, multiple trips in a year, and you're still not going to see everything. So. There's certain, there's, there's people want to drink wine and, and, and look at the mountains. And, you know, if, if you try hard enough, you can, you can grow fruiting plants. It's really cool to hear you talk about the people that were kind of the original pioneers for creating that destination, that community of wineries up in North Georgia. So people can go up there and not just go to one because they're not just going to want to go to one winery. Mm -hmm. What sets you apart then at Accent Cellars? Why are you sourcing grapes from other places and what types of wines do you have that are a little bit different than your neighbors? Well, I mean, first of all, why, why we didn't try to have a vineyard is because vineyards are obscenely expensive. Um, it's, it's what makes us largely a rich person's game. You know, there's an adage in the industry. If you want to make a million dollars, you have to start with 10. And there are definitely a, a number of wineries in North Georgia where they, they did start with that and more. Um, and you see that that's a particularly prevalent out in California. You go to Napa Valley, there is a lot of Silicon Valley seed money going into that. But, uh, either way, uh, rather than my brother-in-law try to locate someone with that capital and partner with them, we really, we wanted our own business and, um, and our, our, our focus or really our, our passion has always been on the winemaking side. Uh, cause, you know, the, the winery and the vineyard, although, you know, inextricably linked by the ultimate product and all that, I mean, great wine starts in the, in the vineyard, no, no question. But even if you have someone that does both sides of, of that in the, in, in, in terms of production, I guarantee you they have a preference. And, uh, our preference is definitely heavily weighted towards the winery side. So we, we first and foremost identify ourselves as winemakers. Um, so we sort of geared our business in that direction by buying wholesale fruit from markets that are large enough to actually supply wholesale fruit. Cause it, there, there are vineyards in every single state, but that doesn't mean they grow enough fruit to meet the demands of even their market. So you got States like California, uh, Texas, Washington, you know, these places grow are able to grow enough fruit on an economical scale that they can, you know, have enough to supply their own winemaking needs, but also uh, wholesale fruit to other winemakers around the country. So we've really just sort of uh, 
we, we've taken that and, and my brother-in-law had a lot of contacts from internships and things that he did out in California while he was getting his degree. So he, we already knew a number of brokers and things that, uh, could get us good prices on really good fruit. So we just, that was basically, uh, where we just sort of started. Uh, it was, it was sort of a no brainer for us. We, we knew that having a vineyard, a would take too long and, and, I'm a mildly impatient person. My brother-in-law is a very impatient. So he definitely wasn't going to wait the better part of a decade to, to get accent sellers off the ground. But that, that basically is, is why we, we've gone mainly with buying our fruit. But then as far as what sets us apart outside of the fact that we, you know, very open about that, whenever, you, whenever people come to accent, I'm, it, the place is definitely a reflection of our personalities. I suppose the tasting room, especially mine, because I'm the one that's here pretty much all the time. But, um, I love knowledge. And the thing about wine is that it is, it is an abyss and you can, you can venture as deep into it or, or not as, as you please. And I find that even those that have plunged pretty deep, there's always more to learn. Um, and I honestly, I think that's, that's part of what cultivated my passion early on whenever I fell into winemaking was the complexity of it beyond just nuances and flavor, but just all the different knobs you can tweak during the production process between, you know, yeast strains to different additions that you can make to, you know, the, the different types of barrels, you know, be it American, French, Hungarian, uh, medium toast, medium plus, medium plus plus, 24 month toast, 36 month toast. You know, there's just all of these different things that, that ultimately uh, dial in the particular flavor profile of something. Clearly it, it kind of gets me going. I, I really, I, I love that part of it. Uh, the, uh, that I, I consider that kind of the trenches of winemaking. But um, whenever people come in here, you know, I, 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 I always aim for them to leave having learned something that they, they didn't know before. And sometimes it's as simple as why do you swirl wine or, you know, what a tannin is or, you know, getting into the intricacies of malolactic fermentation, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's always somewhere where we can kind of expand our understanding of wines. And, you know, we also do that with the styles of wines that we make. We, 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 we like different, you know, so like we, like one of my favorites on our list right now, the Albarino is a Spanish white bridal. And I, I know there's one other vineyard in North Georgia that, that grows it. I'm not sure how successful I've actually never tried it, you know, so picking varietals that are maybe not as common, uh, just doing them in styles that are not all that common, like our Sab Blanc done in more of an Australian style as opposed to a, a California or, or New Zealand style, which most people are familiar with. I can tell just by the way you talk about your wines that it really is that winemaking side that you have this excitement for because you talk about the flavors, you talk about the styles and the depth and the complexity of your wines mm. in a way that you really did have your hands on those choices. And I always talk about wine of being this beautiful combination of science, nature, and art. And I really mm. noticed when I was in when I was in your tasting room that Accent Sellers focuses on educating people about that art side. There are other places you can go where you might focus on the farming. You might see other places where it's the production. But I could really tell that it was this artistic, stylistic choices in your wines that really set it apart, at least as a visitor. I also yeah, noticed yeah. that you were running around the tasting room like a champion and you create the energy in your tasting room. So I highly recommend people go bring a picnic, play some games in the tasting room. It's super fun with you there. 
And if, what's your favorite part of your job? What's your, your current role is tasting your manager. You're involved in the wine, but what's your favorite part of this job? Uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a people person. It's, it's like my dad always told me growing up, you know, you, you got, you got the gift of gab, boy. I never meet a stranger. So I, I really, I, I enjoy meeting different people. And, and honestly, I, I've always loved the challenge of articulation and, and trying to find the right words to say things. And, you know, obviously wine tasting lends itself to that challenge quite frequently. But uh, even even beyond just tasting notes for the wines, I mean, the, the the dynamics of conversing with people, especially ones you've never met before, it's very interesting. And you know, when when people come in, you're you're paying me to talk, which I love a captive audience. Uh, but you know, whenever they come in, like they they want to know my story, they want to know what I have to say. I just I don't I, I just I feed on that energy. I mean, I was, like. Basically, it's it's the opposite of, of people that get kind of social anxiety when they're around large groups. I'm kind of the other way around. You know, I've I've always kind of had an easy confidence, and and I guess it is it is just that the the sort of intuitive, natural feeling I get from that that uh that draws me into it. I mean, I'm essentially having the same conversation five six hundred times a month. What keeps me able to continue to have that conversation is, uh, I suppose, belief in the integrity of, you know, you as the customer, anyone that comes in as a customer, I, I owe it to them. You know, like that's, that's, uh, that that's again, kind of what you're paying for. That's what you're may, maybe not necessarily expecting, but that's certainly what I expect for myself. I, I, I want everyone to come in here and feel excited about wine. And, and, and more importantly than maybe excitement is comfort. Um, I've, I've, I've always been just sort of that grounding type of person that I like it when people feel comfortable and there there's, it's not knowing something shouldn't make you feel shame. If anything, it should breed excitement of like, Oh, well let's find out, you know, I mean, that's one of the beauties of living in the time that we do is just, Oh, well let's Google it. <laughs> like we don't know the answer. So I, I really, I, I love elucidating things to people that maybe they never really thought about needing a little bit of light shined on them, such as why you swirl wine, you know, and then people like that, that like, Oh, I never knew that. That's awesome. That's probably that that's, that's my favorite part is just having people just be like, wow, well, I didn't, I didn't even realize. I thought that I thought people were just being pretentious. <laughs> I'm like, like, no, there's very practical reasoning behind a lot of the things that you do in wine, but yeah, it's, it's, I would, I would say the teaching aspect. I'm, I suppose I'm sort of a natural educator in that regard. So I have to ask you, as someone who does love being in the tasting room and that opportunity to educate someone or mm -hmm. bring a new piece of information to their life about wine that they didn't know, how often are you getting people here in North Georgia that it is their first winery visit? Do people tell you, like, I've never been to a tasting room before? How often does that happen to you? Um, it's not super common, but it does happen. Um, usually it's just one or two people within a group of, of like, you know, four or five, which kind of relates back to a point I was making earlier about the critical mass point of North Georgia. You know, you're getting friends that are dragging other friends that would have never considered going to a winery. Like, come on, come on, come on. Let's go do something on a Saturday. Let's get, let's get away from the, the, the hustle and bustle of, of the city or suburbia or whatever. Um, so yeah, you definitely, you do get some people that come through and it's their first time and, kind of runs the gamut as far as how self-effacing they are of their ignorance of wine. You know, some are like, I don't know anything and you know, it doesn't bother me. What's up? Other people are like, yeah, I don't, I know nothing about wine thinking that like they're going to do a bad job at tasting. And, you know, so like kind of coming back to 
one of my thing, like one of my values that I have just as in, in general as a person, but certainly translates in, into the energy that I bring to the tasting room is, you know, making people feel comfortable. People will say all the time, like, this might be a stupid question. And I like, I almost just want to shake them like, there are no stupid questions. Like you're not expected to know this. I'm, I'm supposed to be the expert in the room. So it's fine. Any, anything you got, just lay it on me. I can't even think of a question too stupid that I would be like, really, that's what you're going to ask. You know, so you, you, you see that, that trepidation a little bit, but I, I like for me personally, I get really excited whenever like they're like, I don't know anything, never done tasting. It's called a flight. That's weird. I didn't know that, you know, like I get really excited in those moments, especially if uh, I'm not super busy and I, and I can give them a lot of undivided attention because then I can just go really hard into the paint. Okay. All right. Here are the basics. Here's the main axiom of flavor in one, you know, from earthiness on down to fruitiness. Uh, you know, people tend to congregate at one end or the other. You know, whenever you're, you're, you're tasting wine, these are the basic steps. You want to swirl it, smell it, fill your lungs, you know, then, then take a sip, swish it around your mouth, let it touch every corner of your palate. You know, and, and like I, I perhaps I get even more animated in those sorts of situations whenever you get a willing person who's like, I don't know anything. Teach me. You know, that's, that's kind of fun. I, you know, there's, there's sort of a blank canvas there, but also with great power comes great responsibility. Any, any, any given phrase you say to them could, could, uh, turn into the bedrock of their understanding of wine and they might misinterpret it or I maybe don't know what I'm talking about on a, on a certain point. I mean, I've, I've certainly done tastings with, with people that were professionals and been doing it a long time. And they, they said something that I, that I was just like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's room for debate on a lot of things that some people think are just dogma within wine. I don't know, like a, a, even appropriate usage of dry. I, I like in my mind, that's, that's pardon the pun cut and dry, uh, you know, in, in terms of definition. I mean, I, I don't know. Some people still like to use dry for tannic. I'm, I'm like, don't, let's not confuse the issue. Dry only relates to sugar, but it's neither here nor there. And it's interesting that you have these conversations with people because I think it's important to remember that as much as there is to know about wine, there's always something more to know. And I will mm-hmm. never know what a wine tastes like to my friend or my mom mm-hmm. or my husband. Like I yeah. never know what wine tastes like to guests. When I was in a tasting room, I had the same type of thing of, you know, they wanted me to explain what they were tasting and I can tell them all about the wine, but I don't know what you're actually tasting. And I think that you approach the education side with an open mind. And I sense that from the first time I met you. And I really think that's a great, approachable, welcoming atmosphere to bring to your tasting room. So I say, keep that going. Welcome people with all their questions and their tasting notes. Personally, I think that's great. So you said that's your favorite part of your job. And obviously it's not all sunny all the time. And Mm. it's hard work. It is very hard work, making wine, selling wine, working in a tasting room on your feet. So of all the things that you do, what would you say is the most challenging? Well, sometimes it's just a matter of trying to get everything done that I need to get done while also uh, being available to do tastings during the day like emails and, and especially in the, 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 the growing season, whenever I have, I, I do all the landscaping for uh, our property, which there's about, I maintain about two to three acres of it weekly, uh, which is a lot of weeding and a lot of mowing and, and just manicuring. So 
I would say like just it's I suppose it's a little it's a bit broad, but the hardest part of my job is maintaining the uh, consistent manicured look that that is a proper reflection of our business, you know, from from how the grass looks to inside the tasting room, cleaning it appropriately, like doing touch up paint, like literally once this interview is over today, I'm going to get out a little mini roller and walk around the tasting room and and roll all, all the all the blemishes off of the walls, you know, it making sure the bathrooms are as, as spotless as I can get them. You know, it, it's ma- maintaining that accent standard, if you will. Um, I, I'd say that's, that's probably the most challenging just because like, like with anything and, and, and wine itself is even sort of an artistic reflection of it, but uh, you know, entropy comes for, for all, you know, everything's always moving towards disorder and so much of our lives is dedicated to trying to keep that disorder back up into a coherent structure. So it's it's sort of a, a general most hardest thing. But I would say, yeah, it's just not overlooking the minutia of the little things that, that synergistically come together to help create the accent experience in lieu of focusing also on the big picture of thinking like, well, what wines do we want for this year? Like how, what direction should we try to move in, in terms of, even staffing or, you know, do we want to do more blends? I don't know. Try, try to keep everything, every ball that's on the court, mostly in play. It's a, you feel, I suppose a, perhaps a better metaphor. Sometimes you feel like you're spinning plates, <laughs> but yeah. So you mean that you don't just drink wine with everyone that comes into the tasting room, Tyler? I'm kind of surprised <laughs> I mean, to hear you do all these things. I mean, really? No, I think yeah. it's important to remember that, Working in the wine industry is not all glamorous. We're not always Mm. sipping wine all the time. There's a lot of administrative. There's a lot of customer service that goes into that. Mm. And I think about my experience in the industry, working with other people at nearby wineries was really important to me. And I know you've mentioned some of the other people that are in your area and Dahlonega as a whole. So what is that community like up there? How often do you get together with other people from other wineries? Are you sharing knowledge among your peers? Uh, it sort of depends. I mean, I suppose it's like a lot of industries. Some, some people are friends. Some people can't stand someone else. Sometimes that, that animosity could go back to some perceived slight, you know, real, real or fake that, that, you know, over 10 years ago, there, there, there are certainly some people are more stubborn minded than others about what they think the North George wine industry is, what direction they think it's going and, and how we should bestly respond to that. There is a, a, a statewide organization called the GWP, Georgia Wine Producers, which was formed only about four years ago. Um, and basically, it is a unified body of uh, ev- every every winery in the state is free to join. And it's a unified body that basically we created sort of at the insistence of the state legislature. They're like, look, if, if you want to if you want to come and talk to us and lobby to us about the wine industry in Georgia, y'all can't be showing up with three or four different organizations. Y'all need to have just one organization. So that was whenever they formed the GWP. So I'd say that definitely is the, the, the sort of largest uh, congregation of, of wineries, winemakers, vineyard managers, all of that, that we have in the state. Uh, and actually they just met two weeks ago in Athens, I believe it was. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just sort of depends. And there, there is definitely some knowledge sharing. I think a lot of wineries, you know, there's still like, there's different niches within the market in, in terms of price point, in, term, in terms of style, you know, some, some places focus more on sweeter wines and, and, and a lot of muscadine driven winemaking versus, uh, 
you know, uh, other places like, you know, our former employer, Montaluce, uh, with exclusively vinifera and a, they have a couple of North American hybrids as well. Yeah. So there, there are just, there are different styles, which, you know, someone that makes a lot of sweet wine may not have as much to offer someone that makes a lot of deep, dark, rich, well-oaked red. You know, there's, there's obviously room for both. I'm, Certainly not speaking to the legitimacy of one over the other. Yeah, you know, another thing whenever it comes to sharing information, the varying levels of skill, you know, 99.9% of the winemakers in North Georgia are self-taught. I know of only about four people that have a formal education in, in, in enology or uh, viticulture. I, there are probably a few people that have viticulture degrees, uh, the, the vineyard side of things. Yeah, so you, you, you see more knowledge sharing on the vineyard side of things, which one could argue is the more important area uh, for a young wine region to be sharing notes on, comparing notes on. And actually, as it kind of relates back to the GWP, once we got it formed uh, several years ago, that was whenever we were finally able to successfully lobby the state legislature to uh, appropriate funds to the University of Georgia to hire a viticulturalist, a full-time viticulturalist. And his name is uh, Kane Hickey. Great guy. Um, really, really love Kane. But he's the first like viticulturalist to show up in, you know, UGAs and R1 universities. So to be a, a professor there, you have to be doing active research, contributing or actively to the body of knowledge. So he, he's doing Georgia specific viticultural research, which, which we've lacked. It's been a lot of people just kind of doing their own trial and error. And, you know, that especially whenever you're, you're more self-taught, there, there's a lot of uh, false pattern recognition of like, oh, well, that probably happened because of this. And it's like, eh, actually, if you knew about, you know, factor X, Y, Z, it was actually this particular disease vector that led to that issue. And this is how you address it. Not just kind of throwing your hands and be like, I don't know, we'll use more herbicide and try to keep the grass down in between the rows more next year. You know, and really it was like it was just a way of something that you could do to tweak your spray schedule or something like that. We're definitely I'd say that that's another big factor that's changing in Georgia, mainly in North Georgia. But that's also where I have most of my or all of my experience really is uh, is the vineyard side and just the amount of knowledge that's come in over the last, you know, five, 10 years, be it a pruning practices or, you know, spray schedules, things like that. And then there's another bottleneck of it sort of helps to further highlight how small and intimate this this industry really is even though there's uh, i think 55 maybe 60 wineries in north georgia i think there's 75 in all of all of georgia but uh there's there's a man named fritz westover who's a vineyard consultant and prior to kane hickey he was kind of the only expert that we really had coming through to help train people better on how to manage their vineyards uh there, there are a number of vineyards that vines that they chose they chose at fritz's recommendation uh, there's even kind of a, a running joke amongst many, many, uh, of his winery owners of uh, the, the, the Westover effect or the Fritz effect, you know, like a, a lot of, uh, his little like mannerisms and, 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 and ways of explaining how, how to determine like, you know, do you keep this cane or, you know, choose that one, uh, whenever it comes to your pruning decisions, like we, we all use kind of <laughs> his verbiage in it, but, uh, he, he is a wonderful, wonderful asset who's, who's done a lot of consulting, Really up and down the East Coast, but he has a number of, of clients here in Georgia. Um, and, and he has definitely been not only a good friend, he's a great guy, but he's very, very knowledgeable. And I, I think he, he's had a lot to do with it. So like I said, the vineyard is definitely, that's the side we share knowledge on the most. And, and that is, that is definitely, that will always be the biggest challenge to 
you know, 100% Georgia wines is figuring out what is the best way to grow fruit in Georgia and overcome the various challenges we have, which are invariably going to end up centering on our level of precipitation because water equals disease pressure. Pruning practices and spray schedules and what's the appropriate amount of labor to have in your vineyard at a given time of year. And That's huge though, Tyler. That's huge because the, the vineyard is producing the fruit. And obviously if you're mm-hmm. in a region like North Georgia, where people are sharing that knowledge and you have the consultant and you have this growing body of what grows well here, you have a little bit more hands-on control because you're nearby, mm-hmm. but I know that you yeah. also source your fruit. So how do you get that type of level of knowledge in areas that you're choosing to buy fruit from? I know you're sourcing from California, from Texas. Mm-hmm. What are your quality standards in relation to what you just described here in Georgia of what's happening? How do you decide quality of the fruit that you're buying? Well, I, you know, ideally, whenever you are buying fruit from across the country, you would you you'd fly out to said locale, you know, say California in, say, early August, and you go you, you go and you walk the vineyards from the actual farms you're going to be buying from. If they haven't already been claimed, you can even uh, pick which rows of fruit you want, which is definitely nice. So, you, you know, you'll talk to the vineyard manager, you'll kind of get a feel for, for what their depth of understanding is. I like what, what, what's their philosophy on, on grape growing and stuff like that's, that's the ideal situation is whenever you can get out there, you can touch the soil, you can touch the clusters and you can really just get a feel for how they treat their fruit. Cause uh, a lot can be determined just by looking at the vine itself and what kind of shape is it's in. You know, if you come in and you got really good spacing, you have 12 to 15 shoots per linear foot of, of cordon and everything like, and they've, they've done their leaf plucking properly. I mean, you, you can tell whenever there's, there's real knowledge and wisdom and care going into uh, vineyard management and, and definitely when there isn't. And, and <laughs> when there isn't, it's, it's usually due to a function of, of just ignorance. They don't really realize like, Oh, we shouldn't be cutting them like that. Um, but it's not always an option to be able to go out to the farm itself. So like, like in almost any business, uh, it's, it's about relationships. You know, we've, we've cultivated relationships with a number of, uh, wine grape brokers where basically they have relationships with, you know, 40 or 50 or a hundred different growers. And then they have their own specific standards, uh, that, you know, we're familiar with and they coordinate getting us the fruit from these farmers and that passes through their, facility first. And if it doesn't, you know, cut the mustard for them, then they don't ship it to us. We, we focus on trying to find small time brokers. Like one of our favorites is a uh, North coast wine, wine grape brokers, Rick and Shannon, this is husband and wife. They've been doing it about I think the better part of 20 years now, uh, but they're out of Lake County and just they're, they're good people. They have integrity. They've always done right by us. We've worked with them for years. And uh, whenever they say they got some quality Riesling out of Mendocino, we're like, okay, then we, we'd love to work with some Riesling. We'll, you know, we'll take two ton and it shows up and it's exactly what we were looking for. And, and we're able to make the wine that we're trying to make, then, you know, we're happy. So sometimes this, the, the decision on w- where to buy fruit is as simple as like, well, it's available. Let's go for it. Other and the people times, you know, it sounds like it still yeah. is a relationship building process, even mm-hmm. on the, on the fruit buying side of things. Mm-hmm. And guess my question for you, because you, 
are always learning as well. Mm. You have lots of facets of your business. So how are you continuing your own wine education? How often do you go out and taste? How often do you go explore nearby wineries? I, nearby wineries, not as often as I'd like, but I usually only have one day off a week and either I have other errands to do or I just really feel like being lazy. <laughs> then whenever, then, you know, the rest of the time, obviously, if they're open, I'm open. And, and if, even if they're not open, I'm open because we're open every day of the week. There are some places that, that close for, certainly during the slow season during the week. But um, so not, I don't go to the other wineries in the area terribly often, but the way I continue my education is uh, I definitely, I, I go down Wikipedia rabbit holes. Sometimes I'll just pick a, a, a random varietal. I don't know much about. I'll click on its Wikipedia page and then I'll look up from my computer an hour and a half later. And I'm like suddenly looking at like, you know, the, the, the Wikipedia page for like, alkaline earth metals or something just because i keep clicking other links i'm like oh oh what's that because i because i do love the science side of things so whenever it starts getting really technical that's whenever i really start pulling the threads then there's a there's actually there's a service called vine box which is another another method i've done for exposing my palate to wines that i'm not terribly familiar with and it's an online service where basically you pay i think it's like 175 for half a year or something like that. They, they send out quarterly boxes. So you get four per year and each box comes with, um, nine tubes that have around 300 milliliters of wine in each of them. Vast majority are Italy and France, which I'm fine with. Cause actually before I, I got the vine box, I really hadn't had too much European wine. I'd, I'd mostly only had American wine. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun of, I'm just kind of looking at the differences there. And certainly European styles are quite distinctive from American styles in, in more ways than one. There's a really great little wine shop in town that carries wines from all over the world, uh, and for very, very good prices. Uh, you, like I got a really, really killer Sauvignon Blanc, but it was only like, it was like 16, 17 bucks and it was outstanding. Just beautiful acid profile. So that's definitely, that's another thing. I, I go out and when I have time, I, I just, I, I splurge on a nice bottle of wine. I'll also all order bottles online from different, different retailers and stuff. You know, I try not to pay too much attention to the point system, which I think some people are getting a little overly wrapped up in these days. I mean, it's not like it doesn't mean anything, but what's 99 points to you might be an 89 to me. And, and that's fine. You know, there, there doesn't have to be this bedrock of objectivity behind scoring wines. I mean, I, I understand the practicality of it. That's certainly more to go on criteria wise than, you know, this one's got a cool label, which sometimes that's all you got to go. It's like, wow, that's really good branding. Maybe the wine's good too. But, but you're always out there searching for something new. And it seems definitely. like you have this enthusiasm for always trying new things. And so definitely. I want to be sure before we wrap up today, how can people find more about accent sellers where are you located and where can people get your wines yeah so uh, uh as you stated earlier we are located in dahlonega georgia uh we're actually just within the city limits we're, we're two minutes from the historic downtown area so if you ever find yourself passing through dahlonega uh, and you're in the square know that you are not even a hop and a skip away from accent sellers and actually drive time wise we're one of the closest to atlanta if, if, especially if you're in the 85 400 corridors uh, our wines currently I do have, I have a wholesale license. I don't use it terribly prolifically. So there's only a 
couple of outlets, uh, mainly around Lumpkin County that carry them. At the current moment, I, I just don't have enough wine to be able to justify that. So you really want accent wines, you got to come to accent. You mean we have to come and bring a picnic and play games and have fun at the tasting yeah. room to get your wines? That sounds it's a perfect. It's to ask, I know. <laughs> perfect. And then are you on Instagram as well? Yeah, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, luckily, Accent Sellers, is, is uh, the name was wide open. So on, on any platform, we are Accent Sellers. That's easy. And that also keeps people up to date on any special events or winemaker dinners and things like that. I really hope everybody gets a chance to drink wine with you in the taste room. Tyler, you are awesome. I really appreciate what you're doing for North Georgia. So everybody go check out Accent Sellers next time you're up north. Thanks for your time today, Tyler. It's been a pleasure, Kelly. Thank you for having me.